What's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff, and today I have with us tour promoter, agent, owner, CEO, president of Star Booker Presents, my mentor, the man who took me under his wing in college. I consider him another father, father number two, Jeff <laughs> Bowen. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing fine. I'm now, now I'm worried because uh, the people are going to start blaming me for everything you've done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> as you know, I am super excited for any for everybody listening that doesn't know. This is the guy I talk about when I talk about you know one of my favorite mentors who's really done a lot for me, who's opened a lot of doors for me, and who's been a really big influence on me and. So I'm ecstatic to finally have you on the same show podcast. So thank you for taking time out of your day to come on, Jeff. Hey, no problem. Your check's in the mail. <laughs> so really quick, before I introduce the topics, I want to do some quick shout outs to our fans. I just want to thank everybody for continuing to listen in, across the world from North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, all of the continents. You know, I want to thank you guys for continuing to listen. And if you're listening and you aren't following us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the same underscore show. That's same S A N E underscore show on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to find us on Facebook, you can find us at the same show again on Facebook, the same show. So really quick, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our topics. Today, we're going to talk about the agency business. We're also going to talk about the touring business. And then following those two topics, we're going to have the interview so that the listeners can get to know more about you and what you have going on and everything around that, Jeff. So let's go ahead and hop right into it with the agency business. So you, you and I have experience doing this, <laughs> um, <laughs> particularly in, in the music business. And I think a lot of people don't know, and, and it's understandably so, as far as how important agents are to the business. So if you could just give a little bit of insight to the listeners as far as how important they are. Yeah, you know, the, the, the music business changes like most people change underwear. I mean, it, it, every day it, it evolves. And at one point, uh, you couldn't do anything in the music business if you didn't have an agent, because the agents represented you in every facet of the business. Agents have evolved as music has evolved, as, as the entire business has evolved. Agents nowadays are fighting to keep from just being schedulers. I did an exercise one time where an agent had a, a group of us in the room and said, okay... I want you to learn how to be an agent. And they said, okay, we've got, a, we've got an artist, and he's got to be in New York, Chicago, L.A., Dallas, and Atlanta. So how are you going to get him to all those places in a month? And we had to figure out the routing, and we had to figure out how much time it was going to take to get from one place to the other, how much time for the event, get loaded in, strike, get out, get to the next event. And that that is just one problematic area of being an agent. You know, so the, the 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 main main thing is to represent, right? Uh, you know, agents uh, represent uh, their clients in every part of the business. They get them record deals, and record deals. And right now, in this day and age, are are, are evolving as well. We can talk about that later. But 
you know, the record deals, they get them, uh, they work with managers, they work with business managers, they work with lawyers, you know, they schedule, they arrange public appearances, they handle media, they handle uh, public relations, on and on and on. The agent is generally the first professional that an artist hires to evolve his career. And then as the career evolves, they add other people such as managers and business managers and lawyers and right. PR like and publicists and so yeah. forth. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good point though. I and I never really until now I never really thought of it like that. Now that you say that, I agents are way more important than I thought they were. And you know, I think it's interesting though, I look at agents like the sales reps not just the music business, but the entertainment business, because not the, not to make the performers look like an object, but they're the product, the, mm -hmm. the artist, and the agent is responsible for getting them out there. Because you're right, when you say that not only do they not need to know how to schedule, because when I think about being a sales professional, made me realize how important agents are because agents also deal with contracts. They need to know some, have some kind of legal length or legal knowledge, understand how to negotiate, understand how to write out contracts and things of that nature. I'm pretty sure those are some of the things. Am I, am I correct? I hate to use the term, but agents package artists. Right. And the bigger the artist gets, the bigger the package is. Mm -hmm. And the bigger the package, the more agents you end up working with. You know, if you sign on with a William Morris or a creative artist or whomever, and you're a major artist, then you may have a personal agent. You may have a agent that handles private events. You may have an agent that handles corporate events. You may have an agent that handles public relations. The, the bigger you are, the, the more cumbersome your entourage becomes right. in the professional part of it. Sometimes when I'm booking an event, uh, like a corporate event, I may not deal with the agent that I'm dealing with on a concert tour. It's an entirely different agent. And if I'm de dealing with a private event, it could be a, a third agent. That is true. Because I, especially when I go and look at certain, especially like you say, with the William Morris and you look at the big name acts, that that tends to be the case where they have multiple agents, you know, for college or or private events or yeah, concerts. Yeah. So, and even like with certain regions of the world, like, okay, you're going to work with this person here in London or oh, work yeah, with this yeah. person here in Japan. So yeah, d uh, you, you're definitely right about that. Another thing too, because when you, when you talk about how important an agent is, I immediately thought about your guy, Rob Light. Mm -hmm. And I remember about a year or two ago, I read an article about how he, save the career help save the career of justin bieber and also help get lady gaga's career on the rebound mm -hmm. and when i looked at that i'm just thinking okay got them back on tour or whatever but when you when you talk about how important the agent is not only to their touring career but to their music career in general i'm pretty when you when you say all the things that agents do especially at these big agents i'm pretty sure he was instrumental in a whole lot more things than just touring yeah and you know rob light he's the epitome of agents i mean rob is the uh, music head head of music for a creative right. artist agency in la and 
you know, he and I have been friends forever and, mm-hmm. but he still handles his artist himself that he, he books and he takes care of. Obviously they're at the top of the list, but even, even as you said, you know, different countries have different agents, even in America, there are East coast agents or West coast agents. Right. And then there's third coast agents, third coast <laughs> being Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> And it just depends on what you want. You know, it, sometimes I don't, I can't keep up with the agents. And if I'm booking a corporate event, I'll call the agent I know who is the responsible agent, who is number one. Okay, I got a corporate <laughs> event. Who do I talk to now? And they'll tell me, call this guy because he handles corporate events. Or okay. call this guy who handles private events. And where is it going to be, by the way? Oh, it's going to be on the East Coast. Well, then you need to call this guy on the West Coast. It's, it's a difficult puzzle to, to master. I see now. I see. So it's, it's interesting you talk about that because now that's got me thinking about the relationship between the agents and the promoters. What, is, what does that typically look like? Well, promoters don't like agents. Agents don't like promoters. I mean, that's the, the nature of the business because everybody's out to protect themselves and, and, and make their money. But agents don't promote artists other than in marketing and in public relations, that kind of thing. Agents are not going to risk agency money to promote an act on the road or in a, in a club or on, in, a, in an arena. That's where the promoter comes in because the promoter is risking his personal money on that act. The promoter takes on the responsibility of selling the tickets, getting the butts in the seats and making the money for the artist and then the agent gets their percentage promoter gets his percentage at the end of the night or however his contract is is structured but everybody's in competition with everybody else in the music business it's just with the nature of it the promoter business has changed probably the most dramatically of anything in the music business Used to, there were thousands and thousands of independent promoters. And then about 20, 30 years ago, a company came along called uh, SFX, and they started buying promoters, buying the promoter companies, and building their own conglomerate. And that's when eventually Live Nation came from, and AEG Worldwide came from, and these other huge agencies and now there aren't as many promoters as they were as there was at one time because they all work for these conglomerates. But that also changed the nature of the promoter business. Live Nation has promoters all over the world, so does AEG, and they don't necessarily work as promoters used to work. Sometimes they're just paid flat fees. You know, you're in the southeast, you handled these venues. You're in the west, you handle these venues, northeast, so forth. AEG operates a little bit differently in that they still assign artists to particular agents and particular promoters because of experience. Live Nation does that to a little bit of a degree, but still they're more territorial. If you're in the Southeast, you're going to work with like Wilson Howard at Live Nation. If you're in the Southeast, you're going to work with AEG promoters in the Southeast. But if you are a megastar like Mick Jagger, Rolling Stones, you're going to work with Paul Gongaware and John Meglin, who are partners uh, and own Concerts West, which is part of AEG Worldwide. They 
are the promoter for that concert, no matter where it plays in the world. All right, now we're going to talk about the touring business, and that what a perfect segue as you were talking about the promoters and the promotion companies such as Live Nation and AEG and how the landscape has really changed from being more independent to more corporate. And that's just one of the many things that at least the younger generation or the avid concert goers of today don't know about the concert business. But beyond that, I mean, there's a lot more that people don't know about concerts as I got to experience <laughs> with you. <laughs> but, but you know, it's, that's what makes it fun. Like the stuff that goes on that people don't know about. I mean, just, just tell the tell listeners a little bit about that. Well, concert touring ha- is another thing that evolves continuously. It evolves based on need. Originally, recording artists went on tour to sell albums. And then... Along the way, album sales started to slip and record stores started to disappear and touring to promote an album wasn't that important anymore, especially with the evolution of social media. Because now if you've got recording, you don't have to record an album. You can put it on Facebook, you can put it on YouTube, you can put it on any one of a hundred different social media outlets and sell it. However, that is now changing again. You know, as I mentioned once, uh, once with you before this year or next year, actual albums, if anybody remembers what they are, they're made out of vinyl. Remember <laughs> that they are going to eclipse CDs and any other form of recording for the first time in, in, in decades, people are buying vinyl again record stores may actually start to come back. And so that will, again, change the touring picture. Some artists like to tour because they like that live experience, that explosion, that production, being in front of a live audience and the reaction. Other artists cannot stand to tour because they're, they're scared to death they're going to mess up. And they prefer to be in a studio, record a perfect recording, and let it release. I remember uh, touring the first tour that uh, American Idol did off of their television show. And we played all over the world. And people in every venue we played complained about the music being too loud and they couldn't hear the vocals. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a reason for that. They couldn't sing. And we, we had to cover the lack of singing talent <laughs> with the music. And that became a, a sort of a turning point back in the, I guess that would have been the late 1990s, early 2000s, where touring became weaker and weaker and weaker and recording became stronger. Touring business, you see acts now that are superstars saying, you know, this is my farewell tour. Elton John is getting ready to launch his farewell tour. He told me a few months ago, but it's going to take me five years to say goodbye. Mm. (laughs) You know, that's because he's going to tour every venue he possibly can get into in around the world. (laughs) You know, uh, the Eagles are launching their, I don't know what, sixth or seventh farewell tour next year. You know, it goes on and on and on. You know, it's funny when you talk about like farewell tours and stuff, because it's like every artist says they're retiring and it's like, okay, 
are you really retired? <laughs> like, I remember we had this conversation before when you told me about Elton John and the farewell tour. I'm like, okay, he's retiring, but he's going on tour, a retirement tour. Okay, retirement tour. Yeah, I and mean, every, no everybody's, re- everybody's retouring. I mean, there's going to be a big yeah. tour in 2020 for uh, a little band that used to have uh, Michael McDonald fronting them. Yeah. <laughs> and guess even what? when you're dead, you're still on tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess they, yeah, that that they're playing their uh their uh, warm-up tour right now and then next yeah. year Michael's coming back and all the original members of the band are going to be playing for their wow. their farewell tour. Elton's wow. doing his farewell tour and the Eagles are doing another farewell tour. I don't know what number it is, but you know, everybody's got a farewell tour in their bag. Right. So now when we talk about the touring business, I know ticket prices and the different tiers of talent is a big part of the conversation. And it's always funny. Like I look at artists like stocks, either yeah. this person's hot or he's not, or he's, he's not working. And what I've noticed from experience as well, that some artists won't even go on tour because they're working on an album. And I guess probably because they know that they don't have anything to really put out there or tour on and make money off of therefore there's no sense in them going on tour without having any new material material instead of trying to exhaust the material that they already toured off of well touring is extremely expensive because Mm -hmm. it's not just five guys in a band touring it's five guys in a band plus whole bunch of roadies plus uh, you know seven or eight nine ten twelve fifteen trucks of production equipment I remember in 1965, this little-known band called The Beatles played Shea Stadium. Ticket prices were $4.50, $5, and I think the top ticket was five seventy-five. Wow. Now you're lucky to get a ticket for a decent band under $150, $200. And true. what we as promoters ended up doing over the past 10, 15 years was backing in to those ticket prices. First thing we'd have to do is figure out it's going to cost me A, for the artist. It's going to cost me B, for the rental of the venue. It's going to cost me C, for all the production. It's going to cost me D, for marketing. You know, on and on and on. What's that total ball going to be? And then, okay, now I have X number of seats in this venue. To make that nut, I've got to sell tickets for X, and I'd like to make enough profit to pay the percentages, so that's Y, and oh, yeah, I'd like to take home a couple of dollars, so that's Z. And that's how we ended up pricing tickets for a long time, mm-hmm. and it hasn't changed that much you know, today in, in 2019. Artists are carrying a million dollars worth of production with them on the road nowadays. Mm-hmm. And they got to pay all these mouths that all these roadies, and, and they got to pay an agent, they got to pay all the other agents, they got to pay a manager, they got to pay a talent booker, they got to pay venues, like on and on. And everybody's got their hand out. And when it comes right down to it, the, you know, an artist that makes a million dollars on a given night isn't taking home a million dollars on a given night. And that's one thing that's easy to forget. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
now for my favorite part, the interview. So much for you guys to learn about Jeff and what he has going on. Really interesting guy. Has lived an interesting life as well. Um, so yeah, I want to. I, I love this segment because you always get to learn about you know who we have on. So you know, definitely, you guys are going to learn about Jeff, who he is, and what he has going on. So uh, tell tell them how how did you get your start in entertainment? I didn't have a choice. <laughs> my family is a typical show business family. My mother and father were uh, vaudevillians, and I know that your audience may not even know what that means. Um, <laughs> But they, they went around and did, they played theaters all over the country. They played wherever there was an audience and they did whatever it took to entertain. I had an uncle who was a professional extra in movies. And I had an aunt who was a costume designer in films. I was named after a cousin who was a television, primarily a television actress, well-known uh, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s did a lot of soap operas and TV movies. I've got cousins who are film stars, even in television in uh, films now. And my parents were married 16 years before I was born. I was kind of a, you know, the baby and born in the trunk backstage kind of a thing. And <laughs> when I was born, my, my father said, okay, the business is yours now. And I was about five years old at the time. And I became an actor, television commercials and did TV shows at that time and continued with that in into my adolescence and i just didn't know what to do other than show business i did theater i did films i did television i toured dinner theater i got into radio for a while television i think um it was probably in the 70s i i was a, a screen actors guild member and and uh, AFTRA member american federation of television and radio actors and we got our annual report, and less than 2% of the entire membership have made over $2,000 that year. And I sat down and I thought about all the superstars and how many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of actors that were in the business that were just lucky to be in the right place at the right time to get the right vehicle to do their thing. And I said, you know, maybe acting uh, is not my uh, forte. Maybe I should do something else. So then I got into producing, got into promoting, got into uh, booking and talent buying. And then I got into managing uh, acts, managing venues, theaters and arenas and, and stadiums. My very first tour as a promoter, I worked for a guy named George Hammond, Jr., his family owned the Atlantic City Steel Pier and all the uh, entertainment that went on there in Atlantic City. And he hired me to promote Frankie Valley in the Steel, uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons and the Letterman and the Atlantic City Steel Pier Big Band Orchestra. And I took those three shows on the road and that was my first experience as a promoter. And I fell in love with it. I said, you know, this is this is what I want to do. From that, I evolved into producer and director and talent buyer and all the rest of it. The rest is history, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you do it. I, you do what you can do. If you, if you if you love show business, you end up yeah. doing everything. That is very true. That's <laughs> that's something I tell people all the time. Being going from having worked on shows and having book shows and having done radio and now here I am podcasting. <laughs> 
Uh, and uh, that story never gets old as far as you know, your your story. It never gets old. So the, tell the listeners a story from your heyday. I know you got a lot of them. I've worked with a lot of the big names in the business, a lot of the little names in the business. I've been lucky on, on many occasions. I worked with um, the Eagles. I worked with Elton John. I worked with Billy Joel. I've worked with comedians like some of the top comedians in the business. Uh, and I've just enjoyed it. I, I've managed performers that were uh, musical artists, actors, and just you know enjoyed enjoyed the whole the whole atmosphere of it all. So how did Star Booker come to be? It was a uh, right time, right place kind of thing. I was president of a, an entertainment company in Chicago called CCE, and we owned and operated an arena in Chicago in the suburbs called Sears Center Arena. And the CEO of the company, it was a family-owned company, developed uh, brain cancer, and he died. And the family decided they, they wanted to get back to their roots, which was construction. They built arenas and shopping malls and strip centers and whatever. They said, you know, we want to get out of entertainment because it's too hard to, to break even, too hard to make money. We're going to go back to that. And so I suddenly found myself with uh, nothing to do. And uh, a friend of mine named Mike Crum, who is the, I think he, I don't know what his title is now, but then I think he was chief executive officer or COO of the CRVA in Charlotte, the, uh, the Charlotte Regional Visitors Authority, called me up. And he said, hey, Bowen, uh, we're looking for somebody to come in and book Bojangles Arena and Ovens Auditorium in Charlotte. Would you be willing to start your own company with us as your cornerstone? Move back to North Carolina and, and start you know, your own company. And I talked to my wife and I said, well, we got nothing else to do. Well, you know, what the hell? Let's go back to North Carolina which, you know, she was born here and I was, you know, I had a lot of connections here. So we moved back to North Carolina and took that, um, that account on as our first account. And from there developed Starbooker Presents as a talent buying, promoting company that primarily in the beginning booked artists for arenas and theaters, eventually evolved into corporate special events production. Uh, we had already done some of that under another company name. We produced um, a lot of corporate events for R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company, and Planters Lifesavers, Nabisco, and, and Wrangler International, and those kind of companies. Uh, and so we just took that expertise and rolled it into a new company and started Starbooker. And from there, we developed relationships with artists, artist management, corporate special event production, and concert promotion and concert booking. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then you guys took on a little old me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Who have been some of your favorite people to work with? Because you, you work with a lot of people, you know a lot of people, but who, who were some of your, your favorites? I guess my, my all-time favorite was uh, a guy that he... Uh, he was a comedian, first and foremost. He was a television star. He was a film star. Long since gone now, but he was a guy named Red Skelton. Your audience may be a little young for him, but <laughs> Red was an amazing guy. He taught me a lot about comedy. He taught me a lot about performing. But most of all, he taught me about attitude. 
I remember uh, being in a, a comedy class of his in, in Hollywood one time. And I was looking out the window and it was such a smoggy, foggy day in L.A. And he walked up beside me and said, hey, what's, what's, you look kind of gloomy. What's going on? I said, man, it is a horrible day. It's just a terrible day. He smacked me upside the head and said, never, ever judge a day by its weather. And I never forgot that. I've worked with, when it comes to the music business, my friends are, you know, Elton John, uh, Billy Joel, those kind of guys. And I, you know, I had the pleasure of working with Elvis one uh, couple of times. I could tell you a lot of stories about that. I enjoy working with uh, Frankie Valli. When it comes to theater, that's a whole different world. It's, you know, most of the people I worked with were, were grand people. You know, they knew that they were lucky. They knew that they were talented, but they shied away from, from boasting about their talent. And they did it because they loved what they did and still do. And, you know, that helped me. I, I remember opening Elton's big picture tour back in the late, mid to late 90s. And his manager was a guy named, still is, a guy named uh, Howard Rose, who was not the easiest guy in the world to get along with. You, as you know, I'm hard of hearing. It's mainly mm-hmm. because of the many times that Howard slammed his, his telephone up in my ear when I was oh, trying to Oh, I remember you telling me that, yeah. <laughs> but we were standing, we were standing stage right as Elton played the first song in his big picture tour, and you could not hear Elton for the crowd screaming and singing along. And Howard turned to me with the biggest grin I've ever seen in my life on his face and said, you know, Bowen, that's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> that's good stuff. That's really good stuff. Man, I'll I tell you, having these, having these conversations with you never gets old. <laughs> it, it never really does. And, you know, it's like I was uh, posting about when, you know, I put this recording together. Like, there's, there's so much that we could talk about just in uh, the entertainment business alone. It was definitely a joy and a pleasure to have you on again, and also to have you as a mentor. Um, you know, it's nothing but love when it comes to you. Really quick before I let you go, just let the listeners know where they can find you. I'm pretty sure we got somebody out here who might be in need of your services. Well, you know, I'll probably never retire. They'll find me, uh, long gone behind a case backstage somewhere when the time comes, but uh, <laughs> that's the way we are in show business. You know, you, you, right. you, you know, it's like the old Mickey Rooney and, and uh, Judy Garland movies. You know, I, my uncle's got a barn and my aunt's got a pot. Let's do dinner theater. I don't know anything else. And I work, uh, my wife and I work uh, to make people happy. And, you know, the greatest joy is not necessarily the paycheck. It's, seeing the smiles on people's faces. And when we do corporate events, knowing that they have accomplished what they wanted to accomplish through what we provided for them. Uh, you know, I've got a website, starbookerpresents.com, and it highlights some of the artists that we work with and some of the things that we do and why we do it. And I, I still book acts. I can book any act in the world if you got the money to pay for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what we do. is how we do it. We produce... We have production companies that uh, we work with. We have, uh, uh, we can work with any agent, any manager that there is in the business. Uh, we have that kind of relationship. And I remember talking to uh, an old guy named Jack, known more lovingly as Wolfman Jack, back in the day. And he told me once that 
I think it was, it was probably about the time he did American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I loved playing that disc jockey in American Graffiti because that's the way it is. People hear the voice. They don't know the person. And he said, I kind of enjoyed doing that show because, you know, he was a, he was a radio pirate. He did broadcast uh, out of Mexico and, and uh, ships off the coast of uh, California that were illegal. And he built his reputation that way. And he, he said, you know, the whole point is to, to see the smiles on the faces. The whole point is knowing that you provided an evening of escape. You provided an opportunity for people to forget their troubles, forget whatever's going on in their lives that they can't seem to get a hold of or, or, or handle and provide that one moment of, ex- of excitement and energy and joy that they couldn't otherwise get if you hadn't been there. And uh, I still work with his son every once in a while. He, uh, Jack died a long time ago. He's buried down on the plantation down in eastern North Carolina now, and his son still runs a booking agency out of North Carolina. But, you know, it's just I, he and I were close, and I remember him. It, that meant so much to me that he understood what I understood, mm-hmm. that entertainment it changes people's lives if it's only for a moment. That is true. That is very true, and that is why the jobs that we have are so important. You, I definitely agree. I thank you for sharing that, especially because I, I know I have some people in the business that listen to this as well. So, you know, again, thank you for sharing that. Thank you again for coming on the same show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited. And again, it's, it's been overdue, but I'm glad we finally were able to make this happen. And for everybody listening, again, you can rewind and find out where to find Jeff at. And if you ever need his services for any kind of uh, corporate entertainment event or any entertainment event in general, if you guys are listening and again, aren't following, you know, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter saying underscore show S A N E underscore show. And on Facebook, the same show and continue to like, share, subscribe, follow all of the above. Appreciate you guys for listening, all the listeners all all over the world. You are deeply appreciated. And until next time, this is the same show, the show about nothing and everything. We're out.